Our uh, speaker this morning has traveled a uh, significant distance to be with us, coming all the way from Ottawa uh, at the church there known as the Met. And uh, Adam Calloway is the young adults pastor there. He's been there for a couple years now. And uh, he has uh, asked to speak in our chapel. And uh, so being a young adults pastor, teaching to young adults, he's right in his wheelhouse this morning. Um, he's brought along with him one of his interns, Tristan Crane, who is a familiar face, did a one-year certificate here a couple of years ago, and uh, is now serving as an intern at the Met. And uh, internships are something that the Met's very passionate about. And uh, he'll be with us too for the career fair happening later today. And uh, that may be something that you want to talk to him about later on as well. But uh, right now, I'm going to introduce Adam as he comes to share with us. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You haven't even heard me preach yet. Very gracious. Very gracious. Well, it is a joy to be among you, and it's a joy to be with you. Um, I've, I've served at the Met, like DJ said, for a couple years, and I, I do feel like the, the Heritage College and Seminary is a bit of a home away from home. Uh, President and Dr. Reed uh, was our pastor for, for many years, and I just say that if you haven't met him yet or if you haven't gotten to know him yet, uh, the reason that the Met is a healthy and flourishing church, um, he is due a lot, of, a lot of credit for that, and the Lord used him in, in tremendous ways at our church, so... Take advantage of his presence and the presence of people like Chuck and, and others. I can just tell that the DNA of this place uh, is, is Christ-centered and God-glorifying. So consider it a privilege to, to be here with you this morning. So if you could access a Bible, whether it be digitally or on this ancient, ancient device here, uh, that would be helpful. We're going to turn to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. And first, before we look to, to that psalm, we're going, to read, we're going to pray together. Please join me in prayer. Our Lord, our God, we praise your name. We come before you, Lord, and we say hallelujah. It's the word that appears at the beginning and the end of this psalm that we're going to look at this morning. And we say it now in our prayers and in our hearts, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We praise you now, Lord, that as we come to your word, we meet a text where human devotional words to God meet God's divine words to humanity. And I pray, Lord, that it's in beholding this miracle that our hearts would be captivated by your excellence, that we would be in awe of your greatness, your abundance, your beauty. And I pray that as we hear you speak, that we would be brought to praise you, to praise you aggressively, to praise you eagerly, to praise you desperately. And we want to praise you with humility. Praise Lord, give me your spirit as I work through this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to read this psalm, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. 
praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So like I said, it's, it's been a joy serving and, and leading the Met as a pastor there amongst God's people in Ottawa for the past couple years. And, and one of the things that I've been privileged to do is to serve alongside our lead pastor, Jonathan Griffiths, in a Monday morning training course for our interns. And it's a course that helps our, our interns and others learn how to handle the Word of God, how to teach it. And one of the principles that Pastor Jonathan teaches us through is called the five wise guys, the five wise guys. And essentially, the five wise guys is identifying the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why of a particular Bible book or a particular passage in a particular Bible book. And today, as we look at Psalm 150, I think, I think the text actually invites us to consider the four wise guys of worship, the four wise guys of worship, the who, the where, the why, and the how. Psalm 150 offers us advice. It offers us instruction as to who, where, why, and how we worship. So let's look right there. Verse one, who we worship. We worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. The psalmist wastes no time at all and implores us right away to praise the Lord. It's no coincidence at all that the last five psalms of the Psalter actually begin and end with the same two Hebrew words, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They really function as a sort of conclusion and summary of the Psalter as a whole. The phrase is calling us to praise the God who created everything to praise the God of the Bible, the one true God of heaven and earth. It's reminding us where to direct our praise, who it is, who's worthy of it, who is its rightful recipient. It's because it's true, isn't it, that we oftentimes are, we have these competing objects in our lives that are calling for our affection. They're calling for our adoration. There are many things other than God that are vying for our hearts and our minds' attention all the time. We all get out of bed in the morning for a reason. We're all living for something. We're pursuing something or or more than one particular thing. Some of those things are good, and some of them are less than good. But as Tim Keller helpfully says, any good thing turned ultimate is idolatry. And this psalm calls us to consider, or perhaps to reconsider, to be reminded that God is the primary object of our praise. I was, I was reading a story recently about the late novelist David Foster Wallace, and some of you probably have even read some of his books. But shortly before he committed suicide, he wrote the, these words, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. 
And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is their unconscious, their default settings. And we do have those default settings, don't we? And we come to God's word and he invites us to sort of recalibrate those settings. And we open up to Psalm 145. Psalm 146, 147, 48, 49, Psalm 150, and we read the words, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then you look down to verse six and and there it is again, praise the Lord, because God knows. God knows what's eating us alive inside. He knows what's competing for our hearts. He knows what's competing for our affections. And our praise. And here we are, together, receiving the charge and reminder of who we worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we're going to look in a second as to why exactly the Lord is the one worthy object and person of our praise. But first, the psalmist takes us to where we worship. Take a look, second half of verse one Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. What's interesting about when we read our Bibles is that we're really dealing with a text that's not so much written to us, but it's certainly written for us. And right here we have a text that was written to a people who understood worship in such a way as you had to go to a particular place to experience it. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to a priest And he's going to have to offer up a number of sacrifices before you can actually experience worship. And by God's grace, he also extends the the realm of worship for the original readers into heaven itself. He invites his reading audience into the heavenly sanctuary too. Praise God in his sanctuary, in his temple, in the place of earthly worship. And praise him in the heavens. But we know that in Christ, worship is really no longer about a place. It's about a person. Christ came and he said, I am the place where God dwells with humanity. I came to tabernacle among you. I am the object of your worship. What I've come to say, what I've come to be, what I've come to do is that recalibration that you need. So he says to a woman at a well in Samaria who who has a sexually broken past and is currently sleeping around, it's not about where you go to worship. It's not about where you're from. It's not about what your background looks like. He says, worship is standing right here in front of you. He says, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because the Father is seeking such worshipers. You may, need, you may have come to chapel this morning broken. You may have come to chapel this morning needy. And so Jesus says, don't worry about a place 
worry about your performance. Just be captivated by my person and worship me. In light of all this, worship transcends a particular physical place and the religious sphere and expands into all of life. Your classes, your relationships, your vocation, your local church, your everything. Who we worship, where we worship, why we worship. Take a look with me at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We praise him for his mighty deeds. We worship God for what he does. We praise him for his excellent greatness. We, we praise God for what he's like. If you can imagine putting yourself once again into the shoes of the original readers of this passage, when you read something like, praise God for his mighty deeds, immediately what comes to your mind are things like creation. I praise God because he's the only being in the universe who, when he speaks, everything that isn't himself comes into existence. You'd think of things like redemption. You'd think of the days where your people were enslaved in bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh, getting more lashes on their backs than they get breadcrumbs on their tables. And God comes in and says, this is my people. Let them go. Freeing them from slavery in Egypt. Praise him for his mighty deeds. You'd think of things like God sustaining your ancestors in the wilderness when there was no, nothing to eat and no water to drink. Praise him for providing for us, for protecting us, for leading us, guiding us, healing us, saving us. But now we, as you and I read Psalm 150, we have the privilege of praising God as we look at all of his revealed mighty deeds. We have in this book and in our Bibles, the, the culmination of what God has done. Not only what God did for Israel in the wilderness, not only what he did to restore his people from horrible exile and starvation and lostness, but you and I, when we read our Bibles, we see the pinnacle of God's revealed mighty deeds. They're revealed to us, to our minds and our hearts. His mighty deed to enter into our created sphere, to be born and to lay in a manger as a little baby. We have before us the mighty deed of the righteous one, the author of life, hanging on a cross and dying. We see the mighty deeds of Jesus, life and death, having conquered death so you and I could live forever. We have the record of Jesus appearing to more than 500 eyewitnesses, ascending into glory, promising to return so that you and I could have a hope for a day where he'll return again. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him for his excellent greatness. In the Hebrew, the word excellent carries with it a sort of a sense of abundance. Praise him for his abundant greatness. There's no greatness lacking in God. This is a being 
who coexists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. One in essence, three in person. Completely united in his nature, and yet diverse in his work. There's no other being in the universe like this. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. In another psalm, the psalmist says that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Because this God's greatness is excellent. This God's greatness is abundant. He's the expression of ultimate beauty, abundance, kindness, love, justice, and majesty. And again, looking back to his deeds, those attributes, those abundantly excellent attributes are never more clearly seen than at the cross, God's most wondrous deed. For Jesus, the excellent one, the abundantly excellent one, emptied himself so that we could be filled. Jesus, the excellent one, became nothing so that we could be something. Jesus, the great one, endured shame. He he took on our sins so that we could get his righteousness. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him for his mighty deeds. If you seek him, you'll lack no good thing. Worship, who, where, why. And finally, the fourth wise guy of worship, how do we worship? Take a look, verses three to six. Praise him with trumpet sound, with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance and strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Although we were doing that, or at least a form of it a few minutes ago, although I didn't see any of you dancing, uh, I think it's, it's also a little bit more than that in this text. I think we're being invited to consider how, the how of worship is really about praising God with everything we have. Exhausting all of our resources when it comes to praising God. Why? Because he didn't withhold any of his resources when it came to revealing himself to us. Praise God. Praise the Lord. One commentator said that we can give ourselves to a sustained fortissimo of praise. I love that language. I love that, that musical language. We, wanna, we want our worship of God to be fortissimo. Not only, not only with regards to the volume of our voices, but with the zeal of our hearts. Listen, only you know whether you've withheld praise from God. Only you know whether you've been holding back in your expression of praise to him. Whether it would be this morning, whether it would be this week, whether it would be throughout your life, Only you know that. I don't know that. God knows that. And you know that. And maybe maybe that's a condemning sort of thought to you. As you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, yes, I have withheld praise from God. Yes, I I haven't worshipped as I ought to have worshipped. 
But in that case, I want, I want you to listen to this little quote from Calvin for some encouragement. Though our minds can never take in this immensity. It's true, he's saying that we can't really comprehend the greatness and majesty and abundant excellence of God. He's incomprehensible. Although we can't ever take in this immensity, the mere taste of it will deeply affect us. And God will not reject such praises as we offer according to our capacity. In other words, it's, it's not ultimately about the, the quality or the quantity of your praise to God. It's ultimately about redirecting your praise to the object of our praise, that is God. God loves to be praised. He loves to be praised according to his mighty deeds. He loves to be praised according to his excellent greatness with everything we have. And the fact of the matter is, we ought not hold back anything from praising God because he held back nothing from saving us. Praise the Lord. Praise him. Hallelujah. How do we praise? We worship him with everything we have. And finally, beginning of verse 6, we praise him with everyone we know. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Or literally, let all breath praise him. Jesus says that when two or three gather in his name, there he is among us. We praise the Lord together. We praise him with all of our being. We praise him with everyone here. It's a communal act. It's a wonderful communal act to praise God. So how do we worship God? We worship him by acknowledging who he is, what he's like, what what he's done. We repent from times that we've withheld our worship from him. We look to one another, encouraging and admonishing one another with spiritual songs, singing hymns and giving thanks to God in our hearts. Colossians 3, we worship him knowing that today we have an opportunity and we're going to have many opportunities that extend beyond the moment that we exit that chapel door over there to enter into the chorus that's going to resound and echo forever into eternity. We worship the Lord our God. We worship him anywhere because of who he is and what he does. We worship him with everything we have and with everyone we know. The four wise guys of worship. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. This morning, we turn to you, our Father in heaven, and we say, praise the Lord. We praise you in your mighty heavens. We praise you for sending your one and only Son, to reveal your glory to us on the cross. We praise you for your wondrous deeds, your mighty deeds. Praise you in in the heavens. We ask that you would recalibrate our tendency to direct our praise to unworthy objects and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Go in peace.